we all know what makes that hilarious is because of its absurdity, right? The fact that you've got a grown man in a baby's body, and it's just funny to see those two worlds together. But today we're going to talk about growth. And what makes that story so crazy is because we know that our bodies just naturally grow. They just naturally mature. But today we're going to talk about spiritual growth. And sometimes in spiritual growth, to to be honest, sometimes it kind of looks like that because we don't really grow spiritually maybe the way that we should and we can be physically big but spiritually small. So today we're going to take a look at that. I want to start off by telling you a story of David Rose, though. Because David Rose, when I was in sixth grade, was the Shaquille O'Neal of basketball, like in, in all the county that I lived in. He went to Yankee Town Elementary School. He was six foot one, and he shaved. Okay, and this was sixth grade. So I was probably five four, weighed like sixty pounds. And when David Rose would enter the room, I mean, we would just all stand and just stare. Uh, it was just—he was phenomenal. I mean, he—he he could just take the ball, turn around just put it in the basket, and we were all just like jumping up. It's like, you know, we couldn't even get within three feet of him, and he would just do that. Just, so he probably averaged, I, I don't know, but I'm thinking about 25 points a game. I mean, no one could stop him in the whole county. We could not stop David Rose. By the time we were sophomores in high school, David Rose got cut from the high school basketball team. He was six foot one, and he still shaved, and he was about as good as he was in sixth grade still. He had not grown any. His game had not improved. He never really learned to dribble the ball because all he did in sixth grade was just stand there like this, and they would pass it to him, and he would go like this, and he would put it in and miss it and get the rebound, put it in, miss it and get the rebound, put it in, miss it get the rebound, kind of pad his stats. But by the time we were sophomores... Like, that six-foot-one just didn't cut it anymore. You just couldn't play basketball and not be very good and be six-foot-one. He had not grown. He had not matured. He had, there wasn't, wasn't really growth in his game. Now, we all kind of understand that, and I want to start on a key verse today about growth. So we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter wrote two books in the New Testament Peter is a central character as one of the disciples of Jesus. He spent time with Jesus, one of the early followers. In the book of Acts, it talks about Peter and all he did to help launch the church. At the end of his second book, in 2 Peter, the very end of it, it only has three chapters. We're going to look at the last verse. He wraps everything up with this one verse. And here's what he says. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. So he talks about growth. That's his last words, is to tell people, you you need to grow in your grace and your knowledge. I want you to to grow. So the main thing that we're going to talk about today, the main principle, if you don't get anything else, if you're about to take a nap, give me 20 more seconds before you doze off, okay? Because someone tomorrow is going to ask you, what did the pastor talk about at church? You just need to hang in there for at least 30 more seconds, so let me tell you, and then you'll have the answer to that. Here's what we're going to see today and what we're going to focus on. Growth is the expectation, not the exception. Now, you may go, duh, but so much, what I see people within churches and in Christianity and people that I know, we don't kind of get that, that growth in, in following Christ is an expectation, not an exception. And so many times we look at it as, as it's like, oh, it's this rare thing that happened, that someone actually grew in the relationship with God. But that's not the case. It's supposed to be the expectation. 
So we're going to talk about that today, and I'm going to share with you four stages that almost all of us in this room will find ourselves in, and then we'll wrap it up at the end with some ap- application and some um, ways to move forward. The first stage of growth is what I'm going to call the seeker. So I think of binoculars, like you're looking out, you're checking things out, you're, you're just seeing what's going on out there. Some of you in this room are in the seeker stage, which is fine, that's, that's good. A seeker is someone who, who's just checking it out, not, not really sure. Maybe you're here today because someone invited you. Maybe you've just been coming because there's something that you connect with, with what we talk about and what we teach, but you're not really sure you believe all this stuff about the Bible. You're not really sure about this stuff with Jesus. You're not really sure about the miracles and the empty tomb. You're just kind of checking it all out. And if that's where you're at, I, we are glad that you're here. Maybe you came because, you know, you thought there'd be cute girls here, or uh, someone said they'd invite you out to lunch, and so you just came. But we are glad that you're here, and there's nothing wrong with being a seeker. When you're a seeker, you're, you're just kind of kicking the tires. You're just kind of checking things out. Now, I've always had this love and fascination for automobiles, and when I turned 16, me and my friend Steve Hatton figured out that you could go to a car dealership, and they would let you test drive a car, and we thought, that is the most cool thing ever. Let's do that. So we would go to car dealerships and ask if we could test drive a car. So in 1985, my friend Steve Hatton, he goes into this Ford dealership and wants to test drive a Ford Escort GT, which was a cool car back then. If you saw one driving around Bloomington now, it would not be really cool. Back then, it was really cool. The thing was, it was a stick shift. Steve didn't really know how to drive a stick shift, but that didn't stop him from test driving it. So, so he's driving it. The salesman is in the front seat, and I'm in the back seat. And so Steve is just, like, grinding gears and taking off, and we're bucking, and, and, and I'm just trying not to, to laugh, which probably is a kind of an immature thing, but it, it, at the time it was pretty funny. So we're going down the highway, and Steve just, like, he's got it in fifth gear, and we're probably going 50, 55 down the highway, and I don't know why he did it, but he thought he needed to downshift, and so he downshifted from fifth into second, and if you know what that's like in a manual transmission, so we're going along, and he shifts, and like the salesman's head goes up against the dash like that, and I'm trying not to totally lose it and bust in the bottom, but to this day, when I see him, we still talk about that, the, the time that he shifted from fifth to second in the, in the Ford. But, you know, we were just two kids that were just checking things out. You know, we were just test driving, just wanted to check things out. And if that's where you're at, my advice, my encouragement is to keep checking out faith. Keep checking out who this Jesus person is. If that's where you're at, just don't stop. In James chapter 4, verse Eight, we read this verse, come near to God and he will come near to you. That if you're seeking God, God wants to meet you where you're at. Actually, here's what the truth is. If you're, you think you're seeking God, if you find yourself as a seeker, but actually it's God who is seeking you. Because our Heavenly Father desires to have a relationship with us, to connect with us, not to give us a bunch of rules and make, make our life hard. He wants to connect in a relationship with us and we think, well, maybe I'm seeking out God, but in actuality, God is seeking out you. Second stage of growth that some of you in this room may find yourself in is the receiver. Think of a football. Think of a receiver going out for a pass, catching the ball. That, that you receive who Jesus is. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. Your past, your present, your future sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit takes residency in your life. You receive that gift of grace and who Jesus is. Now, this past fall, November 9th, 2014, there was a football game 
between Utah and Oregon. And in the game, you're going to see the video on the screen, there's a pass caught by Kylan Clay, who catches the ball and runs right to the goal line. Watch the video. You'd feel like a jerk, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, how would you, how would you live that down? But he uh, fooled the announcers. He fooled the guy running the fireworks. He fooled one of the referees who signaled a touchdown. He fooled the band who started playing. You know, there's only one problem. One problem. He never really crossed the line, right? Now, the reason I show you that story, how does it apply to us? There are people that I know, maybe some of you in here, that come to church, read their Bible, maybe even serve in a ministry. They maybe even give their money. But at some point, if you ask them, so when did you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can't answer that question. Like, so when did you cross the line? When did you actually receive that? When, when did you become that receiver? When did you follow through? And, and, and I don't want there to be the person that's, you know, on the one-yard line, drop the ball, and you go across the line, you just think, yeah, it's all great. No, the Bible's pretty clear that it, it's, it's, it's a decision. It's a decision to change ownership in your life. It's a decision to receive the grace and be forgiven and be washed away, and there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if that's where you're at today, I'd love to talk with you later. I'd love to have coffee with you. I'd love to explain it. But maybe that's where you find yourself as a receiver, and maybe just receiving, or maybe just on the one-yard line. But if you're on the one-yard line, we're here to help you get across the line. March 8th, 1981, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was in seventh grade, and I just knew. I just knew that was my day. And at my church, you know, we would sing just as I am after the preacher preached, and then you would just walk down the middle of the aisle. And it's kind of old school, but that's just the way that we did it. And uh, my youth minister was preaching that week, and I walked up to him, and I think I had tears in my eyes, and I just said, I, I just need to accept Jesus. And I remember that day. And you know, everything in my life, every good thing from in my life, I look back and attribute it back to that decision. That I had no idea what I was going to grow up and do for a living. I had no idea I was going to meet my wife. I had no idea I was going to be blessed with four kids. I had no idea all of these things in my life were going to happen. But I go back and I attribute to trusting Jesus and saying, God, I, I will tell you what, I, you are the owner of my life and I will do as you say. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read about... But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if that's where you're at today, I would love to have a conversation with you. Sadie would have, love to have a conversation, Jeremy, Matt, or someone else to help you cross that line and make that decision. Because growth is an expectation. It's just not the exception. Third stage. Third stage is a follower. A follower of Jesus. So think of a GPS. You, you're going to Florida on spring break. You got the GPS. You put in Panama City Beach, Daytona Beach, Fort Myers Beach, whatever, and you're just going, right? Now, I go on, on trips sometimes with uh, my in-laws, and my father-in-law usually sets up in the front, and he's really old school, and he, he's, a, he's a paper map kind of guy, which 
I don't even know if you can find those things anymore, but he is not a GPS kind of guy. But he always likes to know where he is and like what's the next road that he's crossing. And sometimes when you follow GPS, you know, like I'm just following that pink arrow. So he'll ask me, like, are we getting close to 62? I don't know, Paps. I don't know. I'm following this thing right here, okay? Wherever it tells me to go, that's where I'm going. I don't really know where I'm at right now. I don't really know what road's coming up because all I do is follow the little pink arrow. And if I just follow the pink arrow, it takes me to where I want to go. I'm just the follower. I, I, I I don't know exactly where we're going. Anybody in here, backseat driver? Oh, a few of you even admit, and then some of you are even pointing to the person next to you about that. Yeah. But no, here's the thing about being a backseat driver. We, we tend to want to do that because we like to be in control, right? Because the person who's driving is an idiot and we know that they don't know what they're doing. So they need our help and we need to tell them what to do. Sometimes in our relationship with God, we kind of become the backseat driver. We're just like, you know, God's up there driving, Jesus is driving, but he, I'm sure he needs my help. I'm sure he needs me to tell him what to do. I'm sure he needs me to tell him how to answer the prayers. I'm sure he said that I needed to do these things, but those are really optional things, and I don't really need to do them because I know what I'm doing even though I'm in the back seat. But in John chapter 14, verse 15, we read this passage where Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. Not suggestions, but commandments. So if we're a follower and you find yourself as a follower, the goal is to follow Jesus and do the things that he said. And I promise you, as much as I love my relationship with Christ, I read things in the Bible and go, ooh, that's tough. That's not easy. That's not simple to do. It's, it's simple in having a relationship with Christ, but living it out and doing all the things, th- those are not simple things because it's dying to ourself and living for God. So I want to share with you five quick marks of a follower of Jesus. They're not the only five. These are just the five I feel like God's laid on my heart to communicate. One is baptism. Now, Sadie mentioned next week we're going to have uh, baptisms here. I, I don't have anybody confirmed yet uh, that we're going to do baptisms, but maybe some of you in this room, that's the step for you. That's the growth step that, that God is saying. Because if you read through the New Testament, there is never anyone in the New Testament who is a follower of Jesus that was not baptized. If you find the person, come and show me the verse in the story because I want to see it, but I haven't found one yet. Everyone that became a follower of Jesus, he said to be baptized, they were baptized. It was part of the process. And I'm not saying it's baptism is where you, you get your salvation and forgiveness, but it, baptism was an obedient step after that person accepted the gift of grace. For some of you, maybe that's where you're at. And I would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk with you this week because we, we we're planning on having a hot tub here next week and doing baptisms. And that's one of my favorite Sundays when we do that. So see me this week and uh, we can talk about that. Another mark of a follower of Jesus, a daily pursuit of Jesus, a daily pursuit. Sometimes you call it quiet time. Sometimes people call it a Bible study, whatever it is. If we're a follower of Jesus, there should be some daily time that we set aside to say, I'm going to connect with, with, with who God is. I'm going to listen I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, I'm going to be open to what God prompts my heart to do. And I'm not, there's no time that it says, I'm not saying you got to do it 15 minutes or half an hour, or if you miss one day, then you're just a horrible person. No, but if we're really a follower of Jesus, there needs to be a daily pursuit of Jesus built into who we are. Because if we're not, then we're really not following. We're, you know, we're just kind of, again, riding in the back seat. Third mark, abnormal joy. Now, Matt talks about that a lot. It's even in our vision statement up here. 
But uh, joy and happiness are completely different things because happiness is situational. You know, you get something that you want or uh, things just happen to go your way. That, it's easy to be happy when that happens. Joy is this foundational value in your life when you realize that, that, that God is ultimately in control and I have freedom and even when bad things happen, I understand that I can still find joy in who I am and who God says I am and that he is in control of all things. And so I think a mark of a follower of Jesus is that there would be joy that it would just pour out of our lives, not happiness, but real, true joy. Number four, using your unique talents to serve. Sometimes in the church we call those spiritual gifts, which again is kind of a churchy word. But everybody in here has been given skills and talents that God gave you. You have things that you can do that the person sitting beside you probably can't do or that you're just uniquely gifted to do. Things that you just do and people go, how did you do that? And you're like, uh, it's, it's easy. It was just, it's just natural things. But the Bible's really clear that God asks us to use those skills and talents somehow in some capacity, in some way to advance the kingdom of God. That we all have a responsibility. There's a parable that Jesus told about that, the parable of the talents, that we're given them so that we can use them so that, so that Christ is glorified. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to figure out, one, what your spiritual gifts are, I'd be glad to help you with that. There's tons of information on the internet. There's other mature people here that could help you with that. But once you figure out what they are, how are you going to use them? How are you going to put them into practice? How are you going to serve in some way, either here at Exodus or somewhere else in Bloomington or for a charity or in some way use the gifts and talents that God's given you to serve? And you're not getting anything back from it. I'm not saying, like, this is not your job. This is, this is what you, not that God can't use you through your job, but this is how do I use my gifts and talents to help the kingdom of God? It's a mark of a follower. And number five, financial stewardship. That those who are followers of Jesus believe what God's word says about releasing a portion of our income back to further the kingdom of God. And sometimes when we talk about money, money makes people funny and people get a little like angry. The preacher's talking about money again. He just wants to get in my pocket. That's not true at all. And if you think that it is, just give your money to a different church, okay? Not that we can't use it because we could definitely use it, but if you think that my motivation to bring that up, it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And I know for me and my wife, after being married 26 years and starting a um, practice of tithing all of those years, I, I without a doubt would say that we have been blessed and are richer because we've lived on 90% of our income than we would have ever been if we would have lived on 100% of our income. Because I trust that God takes that. It, it helps us to, uh, helps, I think it releases greed in people when you, you give back. And you can talk about percentage giving and we could have more conversations, but we don't have time to talk about that. But a mark of a follower is somebody who has financial stewardship. Okay, fourth stage, after a follower, fourth stage, duplicator. Okay, so think of a copy machine. Paper comes out of a copy machine. Maybe at your school or a university or where you work or your office or, or wherever there's a copy machine and you know, you just take the paper, smack it on top, hit the button and it makes copies or some of the fancy ones feed it through, right? And they do that. Now, when all that works, you know your life is great and it's a beautiful thing. But how many people have a love-hate relationship with the copy machine, okay? Because when you press it, you're five minutes late for a meeting, you need 25 copies and what? It says paper jam, right? And you're like, 
I'm going to kick something, okay? And I don't know about uh, the copiers that you use, but the ones I've been around, they have like 85 trap doors that, you know, the possible the piece of paper can get trapped in. And it says, open tray 72. And you're just like, I don't know where tray 72 is, and I don't have time for this, and I just want this thing to work, okay? And it's not working. It's not duplicating. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And um, I used to work at a large church, and you know that would happen. And you would be like, I'm trying to get my sermon to print. I'm about to lose my religion. I'm about to cuss. I'm about to put my foot through the copy machine. Like, I don't know what that says, but this is deeply frustrating to me. But that's the way copy machines are, right? They, they kind of make us that way. But listen to what Matthew writes in chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. You've probably heard it before. But talking about duplication, this is Jesus. This is after he rose from the dead. This is, he, he returns, sees his disciples before he ascends into heaven. This is what he tells them. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's duplication. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. That's duplication. And maybe you're at that stage where you're a follower, but maybe you're not a duplicator. Maybe God is calling you. You need to be a duplicator, okay? You need to reflect who Christ is, and there are people that are around you that, that n- need to know that. I would say I have been blessed with, in, in years of ministry, dozens of people who I've been able to have some part in helping them receive Christ. I don't know a number, but um, and I don't take any credit for that either because that's all God. But there is nothing, nothing that I know of that is more fulfilling than helping someone find who Christ is in their life and see that change and see them go living a life where it's all about them, where it's all about selfishness, where it's all about what can I get out of this, to submitting their life to Christ, realizing that he has the power to change, and starting on a road of maturity. There's nothing more fulfilling than helping a person do that. And if that's where you're at today, my challenge is I want to challenge you to grow in that. I want to challenge you to be a duplicator. God needs duplicators Exodus needs duplicators. Bloomington needs duplicators. Okay? We need all of those things. So, four stages. Here's my application for you. It's really simple. First, figure out where you're at in that. Are you, are you a seeker? If so, I mean, just be able to identify yourself. Okay, that, yeah, that's where I'm at. Or I'm a receiver. Or I'm a follower. Or I'm in the duplicator stage. Where are you at? Figure, that, figure out where you're at. Second thing I want you to do is ask God, what's my next step? Really, just ask him, what's my next step? What do I need to do to grow? God, give, give me the, the things that I, I need to do. Maybe I'm a seeker. I need to find out more because I just need to quit putting it off. And I really need to find out who this Jesus is. Maybe, maybe you're a receiver and maybe you need to grow to be more of a follower. Maybe you're a receiver that's right on the one yard line and you've never made a decision. And maybe that's where you're at today and that's what you need to do. Maybe you're a follower and you've never been baptized. Maybe you don't have a quiet time in your life. Maybe you don't really find joy in your life. Maybe there's not some way that you're using your gifts or talents. Or maybe your money is your money and you don't ever release it. But what is your next step? Would you honestly ask God, God, what is my next step? And then be willing to do what he says. Now, I'm going to put an athlete up on the screen. This is our second football analogy today, so football fans will, will like it. And if you're not a football fan, then just hang with us. But, okay, somebody tell me on the screen who that person is. Say it out loud. Who? Lamar 
Marcus Mariota. Okay, good. Yes, Marcus Mariota, quarterback, University of Oregon, 2014 Heisman Trophy winner, projected to be the first or second pick in the NFL draft on April 30th. Phenomenal career, great guy, great athlete. Uh, He's been a lot of fun to watch. Okay, the next person on the screen. Who is this? Cardell Jones, okay, not as many people quick on the Cardell Jones as they were Marcus Mariota. Now, Cardell Jones for Ohio State University has a phenomenal, one of the best sports stories I have heard, and some of you know the story, but if not, I'll try to cover it briefly. Cardell Jones started out at the beginning of the year as the backup to the backup quarterback, okay? Third string quarterback, Braxton Miller, first string quarterback, going to go to the NFL He's in front of him. After that, there was a guy by the name of J.T. Barrett that after Braxton Miller got hurt, J.T. Barrett came in, played the majority of the season. But in the last game of the season, J.T. Barrett gets hurt. Cardell Jones comes in the game and plays. Never thought he would see the field his, his, his year. He is a redshirt sophomore, goes into the game. They win the game. And Ohio State's a pretty good team. So, you know, he's playing on a, a pretty good team. But first game he starts... After the regular season, in the Big Ten Championship, first game he ever starts against Wisconsin. They're sixth. Wisconsin is 11th. He led them to a 59-0 victory over Wisconsin to secure the Big Ten Championship. The backup to the backup led them to do that. So the next game, they play in the brand-new college championship series. Played number one Alabama on January 1st of this year. Became his second start ever in his career. He led Ohio State to a victory, 42-35, over Ohio State to advance to the College Football National Championship against Oregon. In the final game against Oregon, he excelled and once again led the Buckeyes to a 42-20 victory over the Ducks. He recorded 280 all-purpose yards, scored two touchdowns, completed 16-23 passes for 242 yards. And he was the backup to the backup. Okay? And... When he was over with, he only started three games. When he's over with, people were like, are you going to the NFL? It's like, I, I don't even know how to answer that question. I only started, I only played three games, okay? I don't even know, like, playing the NFL? It's like, I don't even know. But phenomenal, and he did a phenomenal job. Now, here's the application to us. At some point in your life, God's going to ask you to do something. It might be next week. It might be next year. It might be 10 years from now. It could be 20 years from now. And when God asks you to do it, the real question is going to be, are, are, are you prepared? Are, are you ready? So when God asks you to serve in some way, when God asks you to talk to this person about the relationship with Christ, when God asks you, I need you to go there or move there or take that job or do this, or I need you to do something, the question is, are you going to be ready to do that? Because growth is the expectation not the exception. And if Cardell Jones could have easily said, you know what, I'm not playing this year, okay? I'm third string guy. I'll just, I'm, why do I need to work out? Why do I even need to be in shape? You know, because like, I'm never going to see the field. Because in 99.9% of the cases, he would have never seen the field. That's just the way it works. But he had no idea. But you know what the interesting thing about him is he was ready, He was ready when the time came and he had no idea that the stage was going to be that big. And God may not ask you to do something. I mean, because that's like, you know, Billy Graham kind of level stuff. I mean, I get that. But God's going to ask you to do something. 
And in the kingdom of God, assignments aren't like, this one's more important than this one. No, they're all important. And so when God asks you to do something and needs you to do something and needs you to be the person to represent him in a situation, are you gonna be ready to do it? So right now, are you growing in a way so that when that time comes, whenever it is, and I have no idea when it's gonna be for you, are you gonna be ready to do that? Because growth is the expectation, not the exception. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you today that um, when we receive you, you give us this incredible grace and mercy and freedom, and you give us this status that is child of God, even though we in no way deserve that or are worthy of it or are mature enough to even be referred to that. But that is the beauty of it. But for the remainder of the time we have on earth, then you, you command us to grow to grow, to become more like Christ. And Father, I pray for each person here today. I pray that you would uh, be with them in, you would help them figure out where they're at and, and you would tell them, this is your next step. This is where you need to be. And if they're a seeker, they would continue seeking and you would, you would meet them where they're at and help them to know that you are seeking them. And if they are a receiver, you would help them to receive you and understand the beauty of, a, of surrendering a life over to you. If they're a follower, you would, Tell them, these are the things I'm asking you to do. I didn't, I didn't say they were easy, but you just need to trust me and you just need to do them. And Father, for those that are at a duplicator stage, I pray that they would be motivated to represent you and to help people who, or who are maybe far from God. But, but Jesus talked about uh, finding the lost son. He talked about the lost coin. He talked about all these things that were lost and how much God cared about those who were far from him. And so Father, may you use us than to help those people see who Christ is. I thank you for the time we've had today to open this up. Um, I, my prayers for each person here that you would speak to them on what their next step is. And Father, um, I just believe in church that you would empower us to grow and mature and to see what you will do in our lives. And we give you all the glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to move into communion, and um, the way we do it here is we ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, that you want to receive communion, you're welcome, and there will be people that will be standing here, and then a, a pair on my right and a pair on my left. You just walk up from your seat, take a piece of bread, dip it, and um, you can take it then or take it back to your seat. We believe that the Bible says that the bread represents the body of Christ, and the juice represents his blood that was poured out for us. So this is a time for you just respond to God and uh, Jeremy and the band are going to lead us. So let me pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we remember now Jesus and his sacrifice just as you've asked and we remember these elements. We know that um, love uh, cost him dearly. It cost him his life. And, but Father, that's the bad news. The good news is there was an empty tomb and Father, he overcame death to take the punishment for our sin, but ultimately to give us eternal life. So we celebrate and remember that together in Christ's name.